Thanks for joining us for Life Community Church. Well, hey, if we haven't met yet, my name is Dan, and I'm one of the lead pastors here. And I, real quick, I just want to highlight Life 101. Um, sign up for that. Sign up for it in the, on the sign-up ledge back there. Just come get to know the church, get to know the mission of the church, why we're here, what we're doing. I, just, I think it's really important to know what that is. Um, so we can all be on the same page. So sign up for that. We'll have a good brunch together. And like Nate said, he likes brunch. So, um, so yeah, we are in our third week together. Nope, fourth week of this encounter series that we're doing. And uh, we're looking at some pretty familiar stories. Familiar stories that maybe if you've grown up in church or been around church for a while, you know these stories. They're probably familiar to you, or if you haven't been in church and these stories are new to you, I'm jealous. I would love to hear them for the first time again. They're so exciting. Um, But we're not just doing it to like study the scripture and just see what happened. We're, We're doing it for a purpose. We're studying them for the purpose of having an encounter with Jesus in the present, here, now, just like they did. And when we have these continual encounters with Jesus, We get to know him. We get to know his heart. We get to know what's important to him, what his mission is. And then once we know that mission, we're compelled to draw. We're drawn near to Jesus. We're drawing near to his mission to carry that out. Um, And Jesus uses us to carry out his mission. And so we get to bring his love and his peace, his hope, his forgiveness, his healing to the world. And, and that's what everyone is looking for, aren't they? Like, if you went to work tomorrow and you're like, hey, um, I could give you some hope and some peace for 20 bucks, who wouldn't give you 20 bucks for some hope and some peace right now, right? Everybody would say, absolutely, take a 20 from my wallet now, give me some hope and peace. Now, don't go do that. Um, Jesus says not to sell his hope and peace. Um, so we're not going to do that. But I'm just saying, like, anybody would pay for it. And here we are, we are supposed to be the ones giving it away free-flowing, giving this hope and peace that Jesus has away. We get to be his light. So we're going to be in Luke 5 today. If you've got your Bibles, you can open there, Luke 5. And this comes right after what Liz taught about last week, where Jesus calls his disciples, his first disciples. And you remember that, you know, uh, Jesus was like, hey, put your net in this side of the water and you'll catch a bunch of fish. And Peter's like, whatever, Jesus, okay. He does it, they catch a bunch of fish. And he's like, oh, Jesus, I'm not worthy to be around you. He falls on his face at Jesus's feet and he just says, I'm so sinful, get away from me. I don't deserve to be in your presence. And Jesus says, you're right, I'll get out of here. Just kidding, he doesn't say that. He gives Peter this proposition. He says, uh, in the, the same story is told in Matthew as well, and in Matthew, Jesus gives Peter an invitation. He doesn't say, okay, go say a bunch of Hail Marys and come back to me when, 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 uh, when you've done enough penance for your sin. He says, follow me. He says to Peter, draw near to me, follow me, and I'll make you a fisher of men. I'll teach you to do what I'm doing. And so we're given that same invitation to follow Jesus. And so we move on to this very next story, which is a miracle. And then right after this miracle is another miracle. So we have the fish, and then we have these two other miracles. So we've got back-to-back-to-back miracles, like the 90s bulls. Remember when they won 
back-to-back-to-back champion. Anybody have that t-shirt? It's a back-to-back-to-back. I had it, and it had three trophies on there. Super cool shirt. Maybe we should get Scott to make us a shirt back-to-back-to-back miracles. Um, Maybe not. Scott makes t-shirts. If you don't know Scott, he makes cool t-shirts. All right. So we've got the uh, tearing of the nets. And these next two miracles are Jesus cleansing and healing a guy who's got this really bad skin disease. And then the next miracle is Jesus healing and forgiving a par- uh, yeah, healing and forgiving a paralyzed man. So let's go into Luke 5. We'll read the first miracle here. Luke 5:12. In one of the villages, Jesus met a man with an advanced case of leprosy. When the man saw Jesus, he bowed with his face to the ground, begging to be healed. Lord, he said, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. And instantly the leprosy disappeared. Then Jesus instructed him not to tell anyone what had happened. He said, go to the priests and let, them, let him examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. But despite Jesus' instructions, the report of his power spread even faster and vast crowds came to hear him preach and to be healed of their diseases. But Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. So depending on your translation, your Bible either says leprosy or skin disease probably. Um, and this, this skin disease, this leprosy, is not the same leprosy that we have today. Leprosy, if, if you were to ask a doctor what leprosy is, they would give you a, a defined definition of what leprosy is. Um, but not, this was not the case back when this was, back when this was written. Um, back then, not just the Bible, but all ancient medical texts used leprosy as a really broad term for a bunch of different skin diseases. And so with modern medicine, we know now that some were highly contagious and some of these diseases defined as leprosy weren't contagious at all. But it didn't matter because they didn't know which ones were contagious and which ones weren't and how to diagnose each one from each, from each other. And so they treated every kind of leprosy, every kind of skin disease that they saw with extreme caution and with the same standard. And so these people with these skin diseases, they were untouchable, literally, literally untouchable. There were laws that said they had to cry out in the streets. They would have to cry out, leper, leper, so no one would come near them and get this disease. They would warn others to stay away from them. They lived outside the cities, separated from their loved ones and families. They had little way of making any sort of living because anything that they touched became unclean. No one else could touch it. So they really couldn't do much. They relied on family and friends to leave food out for them, and then they would come out later and get it. Or maybe just strangers leaving food for them, generosity. They were ultimately alone and destined not to know the loving caress or gentle pressure of another person's hand. But Jesus as these stories go, but Jesus reached out and touched this man. 
And this is something that as we read it, we could easily skip over the touching part and just go right on to the healing. But to anyone who's reading this text around this time, or maybe uh, as, as Peter and his uh, brother Andrew were there, they saw it and maybe they were telling their friends, uh, this was unexpected and shocking. Anyone who heard this story was like, whoa, Jesus touched this guy? Wow. And perhaps most of all, it was offensive to hear that someone would touch a leper, especially Jesus, as a, as a respected rabbi. So as, as disciples were standing nearby, I wonder if they were even like, whoa, Jesus, stop! Don't touch that guy! Like, did you not see he's got leprosy? Did you miss that part? Or maybe since it's like their first day with Jesus, you know, they just, they just started following Jesus, maybe the same day, maybe the day before, really recently. This is the first uh, encounter they've had with a leper, a leper like this. They, uh, they're like, whoa, uh, hey, Brother Andy, I think we might have made a mistake um, Jesus is touching lepers over here, like we can't be around him, you know. If it was me, and maybe I had a little bit more faith, I might be like, okay, Jesus, that's fine, um, but maybe just don't make my dinner tonight. I'll make the dinner tonight, and um, just, just don't worry about it. Go, go wash your hands, and, and it'll be all right. If we were to put this in our context, imagine this with me. Imagine this. Liz, she doesn't know I'm going to tell this story, so don't get mad at me. Um, she doesn't get mad at me, but. Um, let's say Liz wants to have a prayer meeting. Liz, Liz loves to pray. And so, so she invites you to pray Wednesday night, 6 p.m., prayer meeting time. So you're like, oh, yeah, I want to pray for the community. That sounds awesome. Uh, Liz just preached a great sermon or something about praying for a community and, and wanting to uh, change our community for the better. So you're like, yeah, I want to do that. I want to pray for a community. So you get here 5.50 on Wednesday night, and there's a bunch of people that you don't know, and you're like, oh, cool, people I don't know. So you go around, you meet the people, you say hello, hi, how you doing? Have some great conversations with some new friends. And then Liz gets up at 6 p.m. and she says, hey, everybody, welcome to prayer night. So glad you guys are here. You'll notice that we have some new people in the crowd. Um, I've asked some people from the community to join us. They all really need prayer because they all have coronavirus. That would be offensive, wouldn't it? You'd be like, whoa, no, I'm out of here. I just shook their hands and you let me do that. That's not cool. This is the same kind of thing with leprosy. You just don't go around people with leprosy that you know they have leprosy. Get out of there. Yet Jesus touches this guy. He reaches down as he's bowing at his feet. He reaches down and touches him. Uh, you guys know, you guys have heard these different studies, I'm sure, of um, how important touch is to us humans, how important it is to be touched. Uh, this is Dr. Mark Knapp, who studies this sort of thing, he says, touch is our most primal and basic communication. Before we understand speech, before we uh, look in someone's eyes to understand what they're saying, before we understand the mom look, we understand first touch as babies. We understand the communication of touch. And then there's many studies demonstrating the necessity of touch in our lives and how the lack of touch can have so many negative results. If kids 
aren't being held, if kids um, aren't being touched by their parents, it can have extremely negative results on their development. They can develop aggression, depression, self-injury. Even death can happen if there's no touch. And so this leper, he probably hadn't been touched in years. And so I wonder what it must have felt like for this guy to have such an absence of touch for so long. He had this advanced case of skin disease, so it hadn't just been a couple of weeks. It had been a long time for him to be touched by anyone. And so he approaches Jesus, probably yelling, leper, leper, letting Jesus know he's a leper. And Jesus doesn't run away. He stays there, waits for him to approach. This guy, knowing that Jesus is his only hope, falls on his face and asks Jesus to cleanse and heal him. And for the first time in years for this guy, someone touches him. And not just anyone. It's the compassionate, healing hand of Jesus that reaches down and touches this man. What must have that felt like? To have the God of the universe, God incarnate, touch and heal your whole body. As this story was told in a Jewish context around the time of Jesus, um, whether you read it from... uh, From Luke himself, he wrote you the letter, you read a copy of his letter, or you heard it from one of the disciples, like we said before. This this was uncomfortable. And two surprising things happened, of course. The, The second surprising thing was that Jesus healed this guy. That was surprising, that a man would be healed from this. And the first one, the first surprising thing and shocking thing was that Jesus touched this man as a rabbi. That Jesus, it was offensive to think that a rabbi would intentionally make himself unclean by touching this man. The way it worked back then in that culture was that this man's impurity would rub off on you. And so if you were a devout Jew and this man touched you, you would have to go through a bunch of ceremonial cleansing things to make you right before God so you could go to the temple And worship God again. And so for Jesus to be touched by this guy, uh, he can't go to the temple grounds. Jesus can't. He's not allowed to offer sacrifices. He shouldn't even pray because in the presence of God, because being in the presence of God while you are unclean is a huge no-no. You just don't do it. Jesus would have first have to follow all the instructions found in Leviticus for when you came in contact with something unclean. And then he could be clean again. And this wasn't just um, sick people. This was also certain animals and different things that they saw as unclean. But instead of this man's impurity being transferred to Jesus, do you see what happens? Jesus' holiness, Jesus' perfection invades this man. N.T. Wright puts it like this. In theory... This action should have made Jesus both ceremonially unclean and liable to contract the actual disease. But as with so many of his healings, it worked the other way around. His cleanness, his healing power infected the man, just as the love 
and grace of his touch must have gone through his whole personality like a hot drink on a cold day. This week I was trying to, uh, trying to uh, think about how I can communicate this theme of holiness. There is this theme of holiness all throughout the Bible. Starts in Genesis, ends in Revelation. All throughout the Bible there's this theme. And I was reminded of this uh, video I saw a couple years ago by The Bible Project. Uh, you can find them on YouTube. If you're listening to the podcast later, and I see you on the podcast out there. If, if you're listening to the podcast, let us know. Uh, go to lifemohammed.org slash connect. Let us know who you are. We'd love to see that. Um, love to connect with you. But you can go look at this. You can just search for holiness um, Bible project. It'll come up if you want to watch it with us. Um, but I want to show it to you guys today. They do a great job of creatively and dynamically demonstrating this theme of holiness and how it runs all throughout the Bible. So it's about six minutes long. We're going to watch it. In about three minutes in, you'll see the scene where Jesus touches the leper. It's just a quick little thing. And at that time, I want you to start thinking about like how this theme of holiness invades this passage in Luke, invades this man's life. So go ahead and play that video. You've probably heard the word holy before, or at least sang it in a church song once or twice. And for most people, this idea is really just connected to being a morally good person. So God is holy because he's morally perfect. Yeah, that is part of it. But in the Bible, the idea of holiness is even bigger and more rich. What it's really describing is how God is the creative force behind the whole universe. He's the one and only being with the power to make a world full of such beauty and life. And so all these abilities, they make God utterly unique, which is the meaning of the word holy. So a helpful way to think about God's holiness is by using the sun as a metaphor. The sun is unique, at least within our solar system, and it's really powerful. It's the source of all this beautiful life on our planet. And so you could say that the sun is holy. And you can actually take this metaphor even further in that the whole area around the sun is also holy. Yeah, because the closer you get to the sun, the more intense it gets. Yeah, exactly. So that very power and goodness that generates all this life is also dangerous. I mean, the sun, if you get too close, will annihilate you. And in the same way, there's this paradox at the heart of God's own holiness. Because if you're impure, his presence is dangerous to you. And not because it's bad, but because it's so good. And so the first time we see this paradox of God's holiness, it's in the story of Moses and the burning bush. So God tells Moses to take off his sandals because he's standing on holy ground. And Moses covers his face in fear, and God says, hey, don't come any closer. It's intense. It's actually that intensity of God's holiness that's explored even more in the stories about Israel's temple, which was the main place where God's holy presence was located. And at the center of the temple was this room called the most holy place, the hot spot of God's presence. And whether you're an Israelite living in the land around the temple or a priest working right in the temple, you're in proximity to God's holy presence, which is dangerous. Yeah, this is a problem. So how's it supposed to work? Well, in the Bible, the solution is that you need to become pure. So like being morally pure. Yeah, and that's easy enough to understand. But the Bible spends a lot of time talking about another kind of purity, being ritually pure, which is a state where you separate yourself from anything related to death, like touching things like diseased skin or dead bodies or even certain bodily fluids. All these make you impure. 
And becoming ritually impure isn't necessarily sinful. What's wrong is waltzing into God's presence when you're in an impure state. And so that's why God gave the Israelites very clear instructions for knowing when they were impure, steps to become pure, so that they could go into the temple again. So that's what the book of Leviticus is about. Right. But it doesn't stop there. This idea keeps developing. So later in the scriptures, we find this really interesting story by a prophet named Isaiah. And he has this crazy vision where he's in the temple and he's right in God's presence. He's totally terrified. Yeah, he knows the rules. He shouldn't even be in there. And he's worried about being destroyed. And then this crazy creature called a seraphim. Yeah, that is a crazy creature. <laughs> totally. So it flies over with a hot coal, and then it sears Isaiah's lips with the coal and says something really weird. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. So this burning coal somehow makes Isaiah pure. Yeah, it's remarkable because normally if you touch something impure, it transfers its impurity to you. But now here's this new idea where you have this coal, this very holy and pure object, and it touches Isaiah and it transfers its purity to him. Isaiah is not destroyed by God's holiness. He's transformed by it. I mean, the implications of this are just huge. But there's one more development this time from another prophet, Ezekiel. And he has this vision where he's standing at the temple and he sees water trickling out from it. And then that water turns into a stream and then it grows into a deep river that starts flowing through the desert, leaving this trail of green trees behind it. And then it flows into the Dead Sea, making everything fresh and alive. So instead of becoming pure first and then going into the temple, here God's holiness comes out from the temple, making things pure and bringing them to life. What does it all mean? So we don't know until we meet this man, Jesus. And he claims that he's fulfilling all of these ancient visions, but in surprising new ways. So Jesus, he went around touching people who are impure, people with skin diseases, a, a woman with chronic bleeding or dead people. And when he touches them, their impurity should transfer over to Jesus. But instead, Jesus' purity transfers to them and actually heals their bodies. Jesus is like that holy coal in Isaiah's vision. Right. And Jesus claimed that he was the human embodiment of God's own holiness and that he and his followers were now God's temple so that through them, God's holy presence would go out into the world and bring life and healing and hope. And so this is why Jesus described his followers as having streams of living water flowing out of them. So this is our part of the story where we find ourselves now. But Where's this all heading? So the last pages of the Bible end with a final vision about God's holiness. This time it's by a guy named John. And in his vision, we see the whole world made completely new. The entire earth has become God's temple. And Ezekiel's river is there, flowing out of God's presence, immersing all of creation, removing all impurity, and bringing everything back to life. You see how that touch is transferred? That holiness is transferred? It should be the other way around in this story. So in this story in Luke, it is shocking that Jesus would touch this man and that his holiness would be transferred instead of the other way around. And this encounter that Jesus has with this man with leprosy, this encounter isn't confined anymore to that time and that space to just when Jesus was walking on earth. This is now available for us all. 
And that's the gospel, this, uh, that, that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that he rose again, conquering death. And then he gifted us with the Holy Spirit and then told us, you and me, that we get to go be these streams of living water, just like him. He even said, you're going to do far greater things than you saw me do. Isn't that insane? Sometimes I have a hard time believing it. And that's fine, but I'm still going to walk forward in faith. And I want to be a stream of living water, bringing life to people. You see, Jesus' his, his only concern wasn't just this physical healing. That was just a side effect of of the, the cleanness, the purity that Jesus was bringing. His, his main concern was the forgiveness of sins because our souls need to be with God. That's what we long for. Every human desires that. And we, we, we try and grab that different ways through, through cheapened things. But the only real way to get that is a relationship with Jesus. And so we desire to be with the living God. And so as Jesus forgives us in his kingdom, as he heals us in his kingdom, as, our, as we are healed spiritually and even sometimes physically, we receive this full forgiveness and we receive adoption as a son and daughter of the living God. You notice that the leper, he didn't just ask to be healed. He also asked to be cleansed. Because without the cleansing part, he couldn't go to the temple. He had to be cleansed as well. He had to be forgiven. Back then, leprosy was often associated with certain sins. If you had leprosy, a skin disease, then you probably sinned this way. That's what people thought. And so maybe he did, or maybe he just started to believe that and it needed Jesus to cleanse him. No matter what that was, Jesus said, yes, I am willing. Take my healing. I give it to you. This next miracle that Jesus demonstrates, and I won't go into it too deep because I want to get you guys home for the Bears game. That starts at 7 tonight. Um, so if we're here till 6, is that okay? Just kidding. Okay. Um, but if Spirit wants to move, I'll be here till past the Bears game, whatever. Um, but let me summarize it real quick. This next miracle that Jesus has is, He's been teaching. He's been preaching. His fame is growing. People want to see him. People want to be healed by him. They, I mean, if you heard there's a healer guy in your town, would you not go see him and be like, what? Is this real? And if he is, heal me too. So everyone's coming to hear him teach and preach. He's in this house and these uh, this a crippled man, a paralyzed man. He can't walk, and so his friends bring him to see Jesus, but they get there late. There's a huge crowd, and they're like, oh man, we can't get through this whole crowd, but they are determined, they are bold, and so they climb the stairs up to the roof of the house. They pull back the roof. It's probably made of different leaves and mud and that sort of thing, and they pull it back, and they lower their friend down on a stretcher down to Jesus and they get him right before Jesus. And so everybody sees this. You know, like, it took him a few minutes to dig through the roof. Maybe Jesus is dusting some dirt off of his shoulders. And uh, the man comes down. And everybody's like, what's Jesus going to do? And what does Jesus do? He says, your sins are forgiven. That's Jesus' primary concern. If I'm the guy, I would kind of be like, uh, cool, Jesus. <laughs> Thank you. 
but I kind of came for something else. I wanted to be healed, right? Everybody else saw that. Everybody else saw that he wanted to be healed. And so some people get upset, and they're like, Jesus, you can't do that. You can't forgive this guy's sins. Who are you that you can do that? And Jesus pretty much says, I'm the Messiah. What's easier, to forgive sins or to make this man walk? And so he says to the man, this time without touching him, which I think is interesting because touch wouldn't mean that much to him because he can be touched as a paralyzed man. Um, but he just says, get up and walk. And what does the guy do? He gets up and walk. This is God's kingdom. This is that living water flowing out of the temple. Jesus as the new temple. The presence of God on earth. That's the kingdom flowing out of the temple. We have that same access. We have the same access to the same power and authority that cleansed and healed the leper and forgave and healed the paralyzed man. Through Jesus' death and resurrection, we're given that power and forgiveness to be the streams of living water. Isn't that insane that Jesus passes that on through the Spirit? So not only do we have the access to the touch of Jesus for our own lives. But we can join Jesus as streams of living water, bringing life to our world, bringing life to our families, our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our schools. And we can announce the good news of the kingdom right along with Jesus. And we can bring the healing, the spiritual healing it brings and sometimes even the physical and definitely the emotional healing that the kingdom brings. You know, throughout the ages, the times have changed. Like, our needs have changed. People have changed. Afflictions have changed. But you know what hasn't changed? is our need for Jesus' holy healing touch in our lives. Every single day, and there will be moments in our lives where we see the kingdom break through, where that thin veil that divides heaven and earth is just yanked back, and we get to see the full kingdom in our lives. And I've seen it. I've seen people be healed. I've seen lots of people be forgiven and find restoration in their souls so that they can be with Jesus, sins forgiven, so we can be with the living God. And that's what our souls cry out for and need. Joel, come on up. I want to I start our prayer time early. Usually we, we have this ministry time. We invite you after the service to come get prayer. But at any time during worship today, I want to invite you to come get prayer. So if you're on the prayer team, be ready to come up at any time. And um, I think, I know that to come up and receive prayer, to ask for the touch of Jesus like that leper did, it takes boldness. I know what it's like to be where you are and stand in your, your chair and take that one step out into the aisle to come forward. I know it takes boldness. And I see that the leper did that. The leper needed so much healing. And so he had, a, he had almost nothing to lose and so he just had immense boldness. I don't know what you feel like you have to lose, but you don't have anything to lose. You have an encounter with Jesus to have. So come out, come with boldness if you want prayer today.
I also think about those friends that brought their paralyzed friend to Jesus. Like, what boldness did that take? Who had the idea to say, let's tear open the roof? Like, who had that idea? That was awesome. I love that friend. And so maybe you're given a picture for somebody that you need to share with them. Maybe we call that an encouraging word for someone that you need to share with them. Maybe you're just led, you feel like in your gut, I got to go pray for this person during worship. Right during worship, go over to that person and say, hey, can I pray for you? Put a hand on him. Pray for him. If you're online and you want prayer, message us. I'll be checking the messages on my phone. We can call you. We can pray together right here during worship. So I I invite you to come down. If you want prayer, just come to the front row. Stand or sit, whatever's comfortable for you at any time during worship. And the prayer team will be ready to come pray for you. Will you guys stand with us and we'll worship? At Life Community Church, we want you to experience the powerful, life-changing love of God. To learn more, go to lifemohammed.org. lifemohammed.org.